Good morning. It's good to see you. And it's good to be here. And it's good to have the opportunity to share in the worship of God, in the faith that we share, and in the study of God's Word. And we're thankful for the presence of everyone. Um, as the reading indicated, we're going to continue this morning the study that we began in the, uh, the prophecies of Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, that we began uh, back in the, I believe it was the late fall that uh, we started this, and we've arrived at chapter 12 this morning. It's a short, um, short chapter, but there's a lot contained in these verses um, that we want to look at for a little while this morning. Just to review, um, Isaiah prophesied approximately 750 years after the giving of the law of Moses and approximately 750 years before the time of Christ. So if you look at the history of Israel and the time of the law of Moses, Isaiah falls right smack in the middle of that, which is interesting. Um, but in his prophecies, there's a lot of looking back and a lot of parallelism with the children of Israel and bringing, they're bringing out or being brought out of Egyptian bondage into the land of Canaan and, and to the time that they were looking forward to, which would be spiritual Israel that would come about with the coming of the Messiah and the establishment of the eternal kingdom of God or spiritual Israel. <clears throat> Again, the time that Isaiah prophesied was approximately 739 B.C. to 684 B.C. That at that time spanned the reigns of five different kings of Judah. It's referred to, the writings of Isaiah are referred to as the fifth gospel because there are so many prophecies and references to the coming Messiah. There's so much information that Isaiah provides about the Christ, the Messiah, what he would be like, what his reign would, would consist of what his kingdom would be like. So there, there are so many things in Isaiah that point to that. Um, his time that he, he preached was approximately 230 years after David and 192 years after the kingdom was divided. So when we look at this time of history, it's always important to remember the divided kingdom, that, that there was civil war in Israel and that the ten tribes to the north became known as Israel, and the two to the south, which were Judah and Benjamin, were known as Judah. So when you read the history in the Old Testament, that's the way they're referred to. And so this was, uh, again, Isaiah prophesied about both, both camps. He prophesied about Israel, and he prophesied about Judah, uh, and the things that would, be, that would come about uh, within them. So Israel would be taken captive by Assyria, those ten tribes to the north within the time that, that Isaiah prophesied. And so he, he talked about it and it came to pass during that time. The Assyrians carried off the, uh, the nations of Israel and they never returned as a people. Judah also would be taken cap captive by the Babylonians within a hundred years after the time of the writings of Isaiah. So historically that's where uh, the writings of Isaiah, uh, the time of Isaiah fell. When we went through these first 11 chapters of Isaiah, there's some, there's some themes specifically that, that we've, we've looked at. The unfaithful state of Judah. Uh, it talks about, in, in Isaiah in the first chapter, 
compares them, the Holy Spirit, through Isaiah to Sodom and Gomorrah. So they were in a very wicked state. They were in a very, um, a very weak state spiritually at this time. And they had fallen into uh, uh, pagan worship, uh, much like their brethren to the north had uh, early on. And so it was a very difficult time, and, and uh, there was a pending judgment that Isaiah was pronouncing upon them, and including basically their, their destruction uh, by and large, but there would be a remnant that would return after their captivity of which Isaiah spoke. Um, he talked about he, the unholy alliance of Israel and Syria, and we find in this time that you see the, the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel losing their faith, losing their trust in God, and looking to the wicked kings and the nations around them for protection. And so that, that is condemned by Isaiah, and it, we find that in the end there was no protection there. The only true protection they had was in God, and they had forsaken him. The deliverance of Judah from Assyria, as we talked about, that Assyria conquered uh, Israel, and they also would have conquered Judah except God prevented it. We find that Hezekiah found his trust in God through the urging of Isaiah when the Assyrians were up on their throats, so to speak. In a miraculous way, God turned back the Assyrians, which was the beginning of the end for them. And again, the other theme is that remnant, that portion of Israel that would return, of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, that after their captivity would return and restore worship to God, but it pointed beyond that to the spiritual Israel, the remnant of the Jews that would make up the nucleus of the church in the beginning that would spread and become or would be the kingdom of God. And then woven in through all of these, all of this um, gloom and despair, we might say. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of gloom in Isaiah, and especially in the first uh, 37 chapters. The last, if you look at, there's really uh, three portions to Isaiah. The first 37 chapters are again this gloom and doom and destruction that's coming upon them and upon the nations around them. And, and we get into the following chapters uh, after chapter 12 for the next, uh, I believe, 19 chapters, um, somewhere thereabouts, that uh, God is pronouncing judgment on the nations around Israel and woes that are going to come upon them and also on Judah. But then woven throughout this is, are these glimpses of the Messiah, this, this look into the kingdom of God, this, this assurance of the promises of God that they're going to be fulfilled. And Isaiah begins to, to draw the picture of, again, who the Messiah would be and what the kingdom of God would be. And we looked at, beginning in chapter 6, the glorified king upon his throne. When Isaiah was given this vision and he was in the throne room of God, and we find that he sees the glorified Christ, and that he's given his mission to, to carry the words that he was given. He's shown that, that, that there is a way to redemption and a way to forgiveness that is through this king of kings. And then we find in Isaiah chapter 7, <clears throat> the fulfillment, the prophesied fulfillment of the fall in the Garden of Eden when God said that he would put enmity between the seed of the woman and Satan. <clears throat> when he prophesied, when he gives a sign there to Judah that a virgin will have a child and they would call his name Emmanuel, which, Emmanuel, which is God with us. 
the Christ, God with us. <clears throat> In chapter 9, he, he builds on that by saying, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. <clears throat> Talking about the dual, um, uh, the deity of Christ, and that he would be, he would be human, but he, would be, he would be the son of God, the, the, the son that was given. And then in the previous chapter, in, in chapter 11, <clears throat> he talks about basically the leveling of Judah and the time when they were taken into captivity and the, the end of the kings sitting upon the throne of Judah, of the, which were of the lineage of David. But he said, but out of the, out of the root of Jesse, out of that stump with, all, with the whole forest mowed down, so to speak, <clears throat> that there was going to sprout another branch. And that branch was the Christ, and that was, he was the fulfillment of that promise to David, of the one who would sit upon his throne, upon his throne eternally. <clears throat> and he talks about his righteousness, and he talks about his wisdom and his justice that he would reign with and that he would teach with. <clears throat> and then he goes on to talk about the state, the nature of the kingdom of God, which we really didn't study, but... Basically, he talks about the peace that would happen between the Jews and the Gentiles, people who were natural enemies, so to speak, yet they would live in peace and in fellowship in the kingdom of God. And so we arrive at chapter 12. And chapter 12 is, a, is basically a song. So Isaiah, at the end of describing, again, the Messiah and his kingdom and what it would be like, he says... He writes this song, or the Holy Spirit through Isaiah writes this song. And this song begins with and says, And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. <clears throat> so, first of all, we want to talk about and in that day. You know, we, we see that term used many times in Scripture. And many times when we see that referred, it's referring to something bad. It's referring like to the day of judgment or to a day of judgment or to a day of calamity. But in this term, in this time, it's referring to something joyous. And in that day, and if we go back again to chapter 11, and we see there the reference to Christ, and in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse in that day. What day? The day of Christ the days of the Messiah, the days of the kingdom of God, the days that you and I live in today, this, this day. This is the day that Isaiah was referring to, the day that we are blessed to be a part of. Who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. So again, so when we, we begin this song, Isaiah is referring that this is the song that you're going to sing in the day of Christ, in the day of the Messiah. <clears throat> and in that day you will say, O oh Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. <clears throat> in this song, there are two parts. In the first part, when he says, in that day you will say, that you means you. <laughs> it's singular. It's individual. And so it's referring to what we, what Christians will say, what we will sing as individuals. <clears throat> that you will say, I will praise you. Later on, he's going to switch and it's going to become plural and it's going to be, this is the song that we sing. 
as God's people, as a congregation of God's people. <clears throat> he says, though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away. So this is, you, this is important. If you look back again at the previous chapters that we've looked at, there was, a, there was a statement that was made continuously through there, and it was this, that God's anger is not turned away, yet his arm is still outstretched. <clears throat> the condemna condemnation that they lived in, <laughs> the, the anger, the, the wrath from God was upon them that was not turned away, but God was still holding out his hand, stretching out his hand to receive them back if they would repent and come. But now something has changed. And that something that has changed is the work of Christ. In that day, you will say, I will praise you. You were angry with me, but your anger is turned away. What turned it away and what gave comfort to me was the salvation that came with the Messiah, with Jesus Christ. Now let's look at, for a minute, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 11 as an example. We could... There's a lot of scriptures we could turn to and we could spend a lot of time talking. But I think there's a, there's a, there's a great illustration here of the state, the condition of human beings and the actions taken by God in res with respect to the salvation, to the turning away of his wrath and the comfort that we know in Christ. He says, but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we are saved from wrath through him. For if, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having, then, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now, I want to go back and look at the verse again, and I want to highlight two things. Number one is our condition, the condition of, of human beings, of mankind. We were still sinners. We were sinners. We were lost in sin. All had sinned and come short of the glory of God. There were none righteous, no, not one, the Scripture tells us. But it says we will be saved from wrath through him. We were the subjects of wrath. God was angry with us. We deserved the wrath of God because of our disobedience, because of our lack of faith and trust in him, and because we had chosen our own way over his will. <clears throat> For when we were enemies, what was our condition? We were the enemies of God. In our own mind, we were the enemies of God. We were estranged from God. We were apart from God. So that was our condition, but God demonstrates his love towards us. In what? That Christ died for us. We are saved through him. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. We shall be saved by his life. And we rejoice in God that through him we have received the reconciliation. We see our previous state. We see our renewed state. That God's, his wrath, his anger is turned away. And we are comforted in the salvation of Christ. And so we will say in that day, you will say in that day, O Lord, I praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. The rejoicing that we, each of us has as an individual of the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. Being saved by his blood, through his obedience, being born again into his family, 
and having the comfort and knowledge that we are his children and blessed with his eternal promises. And in that day you also say, Behold, God is my salvation. <clears throat> I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah the Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. He says, Behold, God is my salvation. God is my salvation. Salvation is not found in a political leader or in a political power. It's not found in riches or in money. It's not found in pleasures. It's not found in human achievement. It's not found in our spouse. It is not found in our parents. It is not found in our children. The only place that salvation is, is in God. God, in that day you're going to say, you're going to recognize, you're going to sing that God is my salvation. What is salvation? Salvation is a rescue from condemnation. What was our state? We were condemned. We were condemned. <clears throat> For the wages of sin is death, and that's what, where we stood. We had earned the wages of death, and we stood in condemnation, but Romans chapter 8 tells us that <clears throat> there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It is a deliverance from sin. <clears throat> Romans 6, verses 17 and 18 says, But God be thanked that you were the slaves of sin, but you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then set free from sin, you became the slaves of the servants of righteousness. It is a deliverance from sin. It is a rescue from condemnation. It is a deliverance from the slavery of sin, that we no longer have to be bound by sin. We no longer have to be a slave to sin. We have been renewed and born again and become a new creature. And we are delivered from sin. It is a reconciliation to God, as we read about there in Romans chapter 5, that we are born again into his family. We are reconciled to God. Our relationship is restored with him. We are endowed with his spirit and with the beneficiary, we are the beneficiaries, easy for you to say, of his eternal promises. God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. We will sing. You know, one of the first things that we talked about that happened over these previous chapters, we saw a lack of trust in God. We saw that the, the leaders of Israel, the leaders of Judah, the kings, they became afraid when they were threatened by those around them, by, by Assyria and by other kingdoms, they were afraid and they lost their trust in God. And they sought refuge with those wicked kings where there was no refuge. But in that day, in this day, as Christians, as individuals, we're going to sing the song that says, I will trust the Lord. I will not be afraid. <clears throat> I know that in him is my salvation. That he, that my soul rests in him. As the Apostle Paul <clears throat> said, you know, that uh, he, he had given to God his all and he trusted him to, to his salvation against that day. 
regardless of what was going to happen to him, what, regardless of what he had to go through, he trusted God for his deliverance, that he was going to trust in God. And, he was, and that we're not going to be afraid, regardless of what people may say about us, regardless of what people may think about us, regardless of what people may do to us. I will trust in God and I will not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Yah is short for Yahweh, which is also Jehovah or, or God, the Lord God. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. God is my strength. I no longer am dependent upon my own strength. When I become a Christian, I'm trusting in the strength of Christ. Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is, it, Christ is the source of our strength in His kingdom. It is by His strength that I'm able to live rightly. It's by His strength. It's in Him that I find strength in times of temptation. It's in Him that I find strength in times of trial. And it is His strength that I will trust in to carry on in living the Christian life. The Apostle Peter, in the first Peter, the fourth chapter, in the eleventh verse, says this, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man ministers, let him do it with the ability, or as some translations say, strength, which God supplies. Let, let read that again. If we minister, whatever we do in the service of God, let us do it as with the strength, with the ability that God gives us. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> For Yah the Lord is my strength, and He is my song. <clears throat> he is my song. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? Thank you, Brother Franklin, for leading the song <laughs> that you led this morning. I didn't ask him to do that, but I had it in my mind to ask him, and then I forgot him, forgot to ask him. But he figured out very quickly the theme of this, this message and led that song. So thank you for, um, for doing that. So in that song that we sang, <clears throat> that, he is, that he's given me a song to sing. Where does a song, where does joy come from? It comes from our heart. <clears throat> The joy that we have from our heart comes from God. It comes from the salvation that God has given us, from the reconciliation that God has given us. That peace and that joy and contentment that we have in our heart comes from God. And it is expressed in the songs that we sing. God has put a song in my heart. That song of salvation, that song of that joy that know, that of knowing that I have salvation in him, that he is mine. That he is my strength and he is my song. My life becomes a song, an expression of the joy and the peace and contentment that I have in his salvation. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter, chapter 5 verses 19 and 20 says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, that we sing, we express through the words that we sing and the songs that we sing, what we, the, the spirit, the joy and the, 
and the peace that we have in our hearts, an expression of that, uh, that through praise to God and his name. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. This also is an interesting verse. There is uh, Isaiah through the Holy, the Holy Spirit through Isaiah uses the illustration, the, the, um, the image of drawing water from a well. You know, and we live in a time where sometimes we can, we can take water for granted. Um, we have a water well at our house, and when the power goes out, we have no electricity, we have no water. So whenever the power goes out, there's a, there's a stark reminder of how important water is <laughs> and uh, how much you take it for granted when it's just there and how much you realize you need it when it's not there. So, you know, again, when we go on a trip somewhere, typically we don't necessarily wor worry too much about where we're going to get water because it's readily available almost anywhere. Um, nevertheless, if you're like me, you still carry a few bottles of water in the car with you just in case, you know, you get stranded or you get thirsty, which I do frequently. Um, but in the time that Isaiah wrote, if you were going on a trip somewhere, it was important that you knew where the wells were because on your journey, you were going to have to replenish your water supply. So you needed to know. Those, those wells were, were life-sustaining. They were life-giving. They were important. Um, you know, there's a parallel, some parallel passages to Isaiah chapter 6 back in Exodus chapter 15. And that's the song of Moses. So when the children of Israel came out of Egyptian bondage and God had left, led them across on dry ground, the Red Sea. And he had shut the walls of the seas upon the Egyptians and destroyed them. And he had delivered with a mighty hand the children of Israel out of that Egyptian bondage. They, when all of that passed, they, they, they sang a song. It was called the Song of Moses. And some of the words that we find here written by Isaiah uh, some 750 years later are some of the same words that they sang back then concerning God's salvation and him being their, their strength and their song and those things. Immediately after that, they began to travel and they went three days journey and they couldn't find water. And they began to murmur, <laughs> as, as the children of Israel, Israel frequently did. We never do that, do we? Do you ever do that? Do you ever murmur? Sure, we do, don't we? When hard times come upon us, when difficulties come upon us as Christians, do we sometimes act like the children of Israel and say, where is God? Why isn't he helping you? Why is he allowing me to go through this? <clears throat> That's what they did. I mean, they, they had seen all the powerful things. They had written the song and sang the song of Moses, and they went three days. They didn't have water, and all of a sudden, guess what? Things were, got bad, and they, turned, they, they started to murmur. And they came to a water... They came to uh, some water there, and, and uh, you know, I'm trying to remember the name, and I think I've got it in my notes here, um, Mara. The place was Mara that they came to, and there was water there, but it was bitter water, and they couldn't drink it because it was so bitter. And again, the people complained to Moses, and God told Moses, he showed him a certain tree, and he said, throw that tree in the water, and it, it'll sweeten the water, and, and he did, and, and it did. And God provided for them. God showed that 
people, when you, get, when you go through hard times and you don't know where to turn, this is the place. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to promise you that you're never going to have hard times, that you're never going to have difficulties. But I'm always going to be here to sustain you. And you know he makes us those same promises as Christians. That we don't give up. That we don't begin to murmur. We don't allow our faith to become weak. That we trust him through those difficult times. And it says after that, that they traveled. They went to, came to a place called Elam. And in Elam, there were 12 wells. And the Bible specifically says there were 12 wells and there were 70 palm trees. And they camped there and there was plenty of water. You know, we won't talk about all the symbolism except that it just stands out so, I guess, vividly. There were 12 wells. There were 12 tribes of Israel. There were 70 palm trees, probably representative of the 70 souls who had gone into Egypt initially of the house of Jacob, who came out a nation. Anyway, but there is a parallel there about the waters and how important water was and that it was a refreshment and it was life-giving, it was life-sustaining. And here Isaiah says that you're going with joy, you're going to draw water from the wells of salvation. And it brings to mind the words of Jesus. And we know in John chapter 4 that as Jesus and his disciples were traveling through Samaria, and they came to a certain well, and he told his disciples to go into the to town to get provisions, and he stayed there by the well, and there was, a, there was a woman who came to draw water out of the well, and Jesus told her, he said, he said give me to drink, because she was drawing water out, and, and she, recognizing that he was a Jew, said, you're asking me for water juice? Jews, typically, they won't have anything to do with us, with us Samaritans, but you're asking me for a drink. And Jesus said, if you recognized who you were talking to, you would ask me for living water. And this confuses her, and she said, how are you going to draw? You don't even have something to draw water out. What are you talking about, living water? You know, do you think you're greater than uh, Jacob, our father, was, who dug this well and who, you know, watered his family and his, and his herds here? And Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a fountain of water springing into everlasting life. That's an, important, that's an, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? And she says, give me this water, and he says, go get your husband, and, and we know how that story goes on. But it, it's interesting that Jesus, Jesus said, whoever drinks of the water that he gives, <clears throat> that they're not going to thirst. It's going to be, and it, you know, it, it reminds us of what Isaiah says here, of those, those wells. That with joy, we're going to draw water out of the wells of salvation. <clears throat> John chapter 7, it t- is talking about the, the Feast of Tabernacles and what happened on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, according to Jewish historians, um, those who, who've written about these things, that there was a procession that happened on the last day where, where they, which, which was symbolic of their, their, their traveling in, the, in, the, in the, uh, the desert, in the wilderness, and they, they encamped, they stayed in tents or tabernacles uh, in remembrance of that time, and that they, 
on the last day, the priests would go to the pool of Siloam and there would be 12 of them and they would each take a pitcher and they would dip water out of the pool of Siloam. And this procession would go back to the temple and they would come to the altar and each of them would pour that water out on the altar and they would sing this song about drawing water out of the wells of salvation. And this was happening and Jesus was there in the temple and as this was going on, Jesus cries out and he says, it says on the last day that the great, of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So what did Jesus say? He, what was this water he was talking about? It was, it was the, the Spirit, the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that would be given to those who believe him, believed on him. Where do we recognize that we receive the, the Spirit of God. What, what has God told us about God's, the Holy Spirit? If we look in Acts, the second chapter, verses 38 and 39, the Scripture tells us that when the first gospel sermon was preached, and the Apostle Peter stood up and he preached to those who were there from every nation the gospel of Jesus Christ, how that Jesus Christ had died for the, their sins. He had been risen and he had been buried and he had been raised again. And that they had crucified the Son of God. And they said, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter told them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is to you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. <clears throat> you know, I think it's, there's something critically important here um, that sometimes I think we don't recognize or we, don't, we certainly don't fully understand, but that is that God has given us of his spirit. When we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, the scripture says he gives us of his Holy Spirit. Jesus said that that spirit is, a, is something that, that brings forth refreshment to us as we go about, as we go through our Christian life. Now, we're not going to have a whole sermon here on the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of things that I certainly don't understand about it. And there's a lot of confusion about it and a lot of things that, are, that are, people teach that are certainly not Correct, but there are some things that the Scripture tells us about that gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, he who is Second Corinthians chapter one and twenty-two and twenty twenty-one and twenty-two says, "Now, he who has who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. How did He anoint us when we were baptized into Jesus Christ? And He gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit, who has also sealed us." And given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So again, there's three things he says happened when we obeyed the gospel of Christ concerning the Holy Spirit. Number one, he said we were anointed by that Holy Spirit, by God. A child born into his family through obedience to the gospel. It says that we were sealed with it. It's something by which God seals us. He identifies us as his. 
when we become a child of God, when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit so, so, so in, a, in a sense, marks us, that we're marked, that we are a child of God. We are sealed with that Spirit, and it is a guarantee. It is an earnest payment. It is a small down payment of the promises that we have in Christ Jesus of eternity with Him. Now, again, there are a lot of things that we don't fully understand. Except I always say, but I know it's there. I know the Spirit of God dwells in me because He tells me it does. And that it is of a benefit to me, and I can't tell you exactly how that works, but it is. It is that God put it there for a reason. It does not work. There's some things that we, we have to make clear. Number one, there's a distinction, distinction between this, this down payment, this earnest payment of the Holy Spirit that we receive when we're born again into the family of God and the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit that we saw, we saw the apostles used to perform miracles and where they were given the ability to prophesy and to, to have full knowledge of, of the will of God and to, to heal people and to speak in tongues and all of those things which the Bible tells us went away when that which was perfect was come, when the, the completion of the written word of God, the words of the Holy Spirit, that we didn't have to, we didn't have to depend on that which was incomplete, which was, were those miraculous gifts, but we had the complete... Um, will of God, the, the complete word of God, that the words of the Spirit that, that we need to, to grow and to survive and to guide us. The, holy giving, the gift of the Holy Spirit does not make us immune to sin. That's obvious, isn't it? It doesn't keep us from sinning. It doesn't keep us from sinning. And it, can, and it's not, it does not make us um, independent from the words of the Spirit, the words of, from God's Word. And the words of the Holy Spirit, by which are our source of spiritual growth and our source of um, spiritual um, guidance. But it is something that is there. And it is something that works with, in us, with God's Word. And it does not make it, us independent of the need that we have for fellowship and the need that we have in assembly and as being a part of God's family, the dependency that we have on one another as the family and the children of God. <clears throat> so it works together in that for the refreshment, for those wells of salvation <clears throat> that we receive. Again, our sal God is our salvation, but there is a refreshment of God's salvation that we receive in the things of the Spirit, in the words of the Spirit, in the fellowship of the Spirit that we have with one another. This time of refreshing that we have upon the first day of the week <clears throat> that gives us those things. And he says, And in that day you will say, again, you being plural and being, being us as children of God, we will say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. As the redeemed people of God, we will praise the Lord, we will exalt his name, we will encourage others to do that, to believe and obey his gospel. Again, we will sing, sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Again, the rejoicing in the songs that we sing. He says, cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. 
we've kind of had to rush through that a little bit, but um, I wanted to conclude there. If you have never drawn from the well of salvation, that well of salvation being Jesus Christ, through obedience to his gospel, and you would choose this time to do that, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that you would be buried with him in baptism, that you would rise to walk in newness of life, receiving forgiveness of sins in the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or if we can assist you with prayer any other way this morning, we would invite you to come forward while we stand and sing the song that's been selected.